Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. new series called My Happy Summer. Um, you know what? I, I literally just got to go and have a summer vacation last week. Me and my family uh, got an opportunity to go down to Avila Beach. Does anybody heard of Avila Beach? It's down by Pismo. It was really cool. I really, really enjoyed it. We took surf lessons. I had never surfed any surfers out there. Anybody? Nope. Okay. Hey, surf lessons, man. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure if the water's cold. You got to wear a wetsuit for sure. Uh, but man, it was so much fun. And so we had just a couple of days of just literally sitting on the beach doing the nothing and the kids were jumping in the waves and then, then building sandcastles. And it was just fun. It was just summer fun. And so I, I just felt like, okay, we are start, it's June now. We are officially in summer. And, um, and, and you know what, what's interesting is, is that, that there are studies that are done about how summer is the happiest time of the year. Did you know that? It has to do, there's a few factors that, that are included in this, but like one of them, funny enough, is, is that in the summer, you have more access to fresh foods, and just eating fresher foods makes you a little bit healthier and a little bit happier. Isn't that weird? That, I'd have never thought that. That's just what the research says. I would have never come up with that. You know what else they say, too? Not only is it is it fresh foods, you get more sleep, that there's something about the way the sun and the sun being up longer somehow makes you go to bed earlier, you end up with more sleep during the summer. Uh, I don't know. The kids sleep in, that's for sure. And then you don't have to get up and get them kids to school at some ungodly hour. So whatever reason, you're getting more sleep. And I think more sleep just kind of makes you you happy. Sunshine, we all know that one. Like there's melatonin. There's like all kinds of, like don't live in Seattle. You'll just be a depressed person. That's why they have coffee up there like that. You have to have the coffee to survive because you're depressed all the time. I don't I don't know. But more, more sun. Here's the other one though. More, more outdoor exercise, like because the weather's nicer, you're more inclined to be outside and to have more outdoor exercise. But here's the most interesting thing that I saw. There's actually a guy that wrote a book called The Blue Mind, and he talks about how like human beings, their chemistry and their neuroscience changes as they get out into creation, particularly next to water. Isn't that fascinating? He goes, the blue mind, it's all about this idea. They, they researched and studied mind and how the mind responds to being around water. This is why we are typically, why are we drawn to the water? You ever think about that? Why do we go to the lake? Why do we go to the beach? Why are we drawn to the water? There's something in us that says, no, I want to be out of the water. And what it does is it creates in us a state of peace and a greater sense of happiness, which I, I actually think makes a lot of sense because the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and all creation really kind of puts on display his handiwork. That there's something about being in creation that actually draws you towards the creator that c.s lewis said it like this that being in creation or looking at the wonder and the beauty of creation is the only context you have for the word glory like so we would sing that god is glorious what does that what does that even mean well creation gives us a context for the idea of of glory okay i'm nerding you out let's so anyway the idea is is that it's summertime and it's time to be happy. Now, here's what I know about you. You really want to be happy. Can I get an amen and a what, what? You just, I just know you. I've talked to you. You want to be happy. And so the big question is this, is are you going to be happy in life? And I need you to turn to your neighbor and to ask him this question. Like, are you going to be happy in life? Just ask him that real question. Just, just humor me. And now turn to your neighbor and just say, it depends. It depends. 
It depends. It really, it really depends. And so, hey, do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's pray as we jump into this message this morning. Dear God, we thank you uh, that, God, you are at work in us. God, we pray that your words would, God, God kind of roll over us this morning, that it would renew our minds, that it would change who we are from the inside out, God. And let us walk out of this place different than the way we walked in, Lord. That would be my prayer in Jesus' name. And we all said... Amen. So here's this idea called happiness. And again, I know that you want to be happy, but here's the thing that let's just be brutally honest, right? This is going to be an unhappy moment. Let's be honest. Many of us in life are not actually happy. They did studies of Americans and found that maybe only about 20% of Americans are happy. And as a matter of fact, on the world scale, there are so many more countries that are on the happy scale happier than us. We're not a very happy people. So even though we want to be happy, we actually have not exactly found happiness. And we have a, well, we have this belief in us that we, well, I know what will make me happy. But if that were true, we would actually probably discover happiness and then actually be happy. But we're not happy, which means you don't actually know what makes you happy. And sometimes that can be kind of insulting. What do you mean I don't know what makes me happy? I'm just telling you you don't know what makes you happy. Because if you did, we would stay in this. And when I say happiness, I don't mean like this momentary fleeting thing. I'm talking about deep inner joy. That's, that's what we're really talking about here. And so, uh, Jesus actually, in the greatest sermon he ever preached called the Sermon on the Mount, I almost think of the Sermon on the Mount as his manifesto. Like, this is it. Like, if you, if you really just, what is Jesus all about? Go back to the Sermon on the Mount and just start there. And then you'll see that his life really is unraveling and unpacking and living out this incredible sermon. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually begins the Sermon on the Mount with a poem. We call it the Beatitudes. Now, I used to think that it was called Beatitudes because they all started with blessed, which starts with the letter B, right? So it's just the B, and they're attitudes. They're Beatitudes. That's not what that means. It's some Latin word, which means beat us, right? Uh, which that sounds weird. Beat us. Um, so anyway, no, but actually, but here's the word. The Greek word that is used for uh, blessed, everybody say blessed. It's a Greek, it's a Greek word. That literally means happy. Like how incredible Jesus begins his manifesto. Jesus begins the greatest sermon he ever preached with a poem on happiness. Eight different things that he says, if you do this, think this, have this attitude, have this mindset, have these practices and lifestyles, you will be a happy purpose person. And not this fleeting come and go happiness, because we know this, that like, you're not always going to be happy momentarily. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you're not always going to feel in every moment and every second. That would be ridiculous. What Jesus, I think, is referring to is this deep joy and contentment and satisfaction and peace that produces a long-term, lasting and sustaining type happiness. And so this is where he begins. He begins with this idea called happy. Now let's read it together. Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here Jesus begins with the most counterintuitive. Everybody that read that's like, what? 
That's not what I thought happiness would be. Jesus starts with this incredibly countercultural and counterintuitive idea on what it means to be happy. And he has all these things that we actually need to unpack. Because if you'll go back to verse number three, he begins with this idea that says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we're all like, well, I don't even know what that means. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like, and notice he doesn't say poor, right? We all said amen to that. Like, right? You're like, Jesus say, blessed if you're poor. Hey, if you're broke, you'll be happy in life. That's not what he says. Being poor and being poor in spirit are not related. Because here's what we know. Many times, again, the things that we think will make us happy, one of them on the list would be money. Because we all believe deeply, like, man, if I had more money, I guarantee you I'd be happy. I'd live in this house. I'd buy that car. I'd take that vacation. I'd buy these clothes or whatever. I'd just be happier. But that's not true. And we know that because, like, you can find people in life who have incredible amounts of wealth and they're miserable. They're on a ton of pills. They're depressed. Some of them are suicidal. Like they're, they're not, they're not happy. And we also can find people who, who don't have much at all, but yet have incredible peace and contentment and joy in life. Now, the opposite is true too, though. I met some poor people that are miserable and I met some rich people that are happy. And the point would be this is that money has nothing to do with your happiness. So when Jesus says, can we go back to verse number three? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about wealth. He's talking about something so much deeper than that. And there's a bunch of different translations for this. Like one translation says, God blesses those who realize their need for him. Here's another translation. God blesses those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. God rec- or God blesses those who depend on him. These are all the different translations that maybe kind of begin to flow and unpack this idea of what does it mean to be poor in spirit? So if you're taking those, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means I recognize I'm inadequate to face life without God. Jesus starts by saying, hey, I know you want to be happy in life, but you might not know what actually makes you happy. And the first thing that he addresses of these eight keys, these eight thoughts, this blueprint for happiness is this idea of you'll actually be happy in life. If you'll just recognize you're inadequate to face life on your own, you need to fully depend on God. And if you will learn a life of dependence, not a life of independence, you will find incredible and lasting joy and peace. As a matter of fact, Psalms 146.5 says it like this. The Lord blesses everyone who what? Who trust him and depend on him. By the way, if you're a Bible person, because I don't have a story and a narrative and a backdrop to unpack. I'm just going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you to back up all that I'm saying. And I want these scriptures to kind of wash over you. Man, I'm telling you, living a life that just says, I will depend on God. I will humbly depend on God instead of myself. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And Jesus said, this is step one or part one of the blueprint for how you actually find happiness. Because some of y'all are not happy. Some of you are not happy in your marriages. Some of you are not happy in your jobs. Some of you are not happy with your kids. Some of you are not happy with your parents. Some of you are not happy in your friendships. And you're like, man, why am I so unhappy? And Jesus gives you eight keys for finding happiness. And they're counterintuitive. And they're countercultural. And the first one is you live a life being completely dependent on God. Now, here's five ways. I'm going to unpack this for the next few minutes. Here's five ways that I want you to depend on God. Because when I unpack this at the end, you're going to see, wait a minute, that would produce a happy life. Number one is this, is I want to depend on God's wisdom and not mine. Literally, I will seek God's wisdom and do what he says to do and not just do what I want to do. It's it's really that simple. As a matter of fact, look at this scripture. Uh, Proverbs 14 verse 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So 
you and I, what we typically do is, is we typically start off in life just because when you're a teenager, you think you're smarter than everybody. You think your parents are dumb. You think your teacher's dumb and you think you know better. And so you start doing things, right? And then what happens is you invite chaos into your life. And if you never have, you know, this real come to Jesus moment, you just kind of keep living that way. Or some of us just live based off of what culture tells us to do. Or basically we live off of what maybe our parents told us to do. And then we end up unhappy in life because here's the deal. Whenever you're not living off God's wisdom, you're living off of what you seem to think is right. And you do whatever you see, whatever seemed natural to you. It seemed smart to me at the, it seemed good at the time. You ever made like a big dumb mistake? And you're like, well, it seemed really good at the time. It seemed like at the time I really liked it. I really wanted that. Like he, he looked good. She smelled good. That, you know, I, I, whatever it is, like it seemed good at the time. And what Solomon is saying is like, be careful what seems good. Because when you keep doing what seems good to you, you invite a lot of drama into your life. You invite a lot of chaos. You invite a lot of foolishness. You invite a lot of regret. And here's what I know about you. Anytime I sit down with you and you think about like all the regrets and all the pain and all the foolishness, like those people are not happy. You ever notice that? People that have a ton of drama and chaos in their life, they're not happy. So our ability just to say, God, I want to depend on your wisdom and not my wisdom. Watch this. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says it so well. This is like Christian um, you probably have this like in your grandma's home. If your grandmother was a Christian interior designer, this was somewhere in her home. Ready? Trust in the Lord. You know this one. With all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will direct your path. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. I love the way that the New Living says this. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, respect the Lord and turn your back on evil. Um, see, what the Bible actually says is, is that you should trust the Lord with your heart. What culture says is, trust your heart. Isn't that kind of like, oh, you know what, girl? You do whatever in your heart. No, don't do that. That's dumb. In your heart, there's all kinds of craziness. There could be wickedness and sin and selfishness and greed and pride and all kinds of bad. Don't do what's in your heart. So you don't trust your heart. Who do you trust? You trust the Lord with your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. I love how he puts it so well. And so, so then it just begs the question, okay, God, I get it. I have invited drama and chaos into my life. I, I am unhappy because of the chaos around me, the chaos in my relationships. How do I get God's wisdom? That's the great question, right? How do I get God's wisdom? The answer is really simple. Pray and read. That's the answer. You pray and you read. Prayer is a meditative state. It's a posture that you take. It says that before I go make a decision, before I jump into that conversation, before I go do this thing, I'm going to take a meditative state to say, God, I do not want to do this on my own. I want to do it with your wisdom. And so, God, would you please help me, guide me, direct me? Holy Spirit, would you be moving and, and kind of guiding and nudging and convicting and doing what you do? Listen to what James says. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, which is, by the way, all of us, if any of you lack wisdom, you should what? You should pray and ask God who gives it only if you've been really good and went to church that Sunday. No, because some of y'all feel that way. Some of y'all feel like God gets you that week if you skip church. You have that weird notion that, oh, you went to church. Now you got a flat tire. You didn't go to church. Now you got a flat tire. God got you this week. Stop being ridiculous. It says that God gives it what? Generously and graciously to who? Oh. Like, so God, God actually loves you and wants to give you wisdom, 
But you've got to ask for it. You need to get into a posture of prayer, a posture of humility, a posture of dependence. And before you go just headlong into anything, making decisions and doing what seemed right to you at the time or going with your heart. No, 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 no. You don't go with your heart. You go with the Lord. And that starts with pray. And the second thing that you do, again, is that you read. Again, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. God's wisdom is in God's word. It is a, literally a book of wisdom. That's how the Bible works. It is a book of wisdom from Genesis to Revelation. It's an invitation to step into the journey of people experiencing God and learning and growing in their own faith and you stepping into that and figuring out how does that apply to you right here, right now? And that requires wisdom. But you can't actually apply God's word to your life if you don't read it. And so there's an invitation to say, hey, look, 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 you want to be happy in life? Depend on God's wisdom and not your own. And the greatest way to get that wisdom is to pray and to get into God's word and let those words create such wisdom in you that they produce incredible outcomes. That actually makes happier people. Number two is this. If you're taking notes, you need to depend on God's strength, right? I depend on God's strength and not mine because here's what I know about you. Many times by the time you get to me and I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I'm tired. By the time you get to me, you're tired sometimes. You're wore out. People don't counsel with me because they want to give me all their praise reports. That's not why they, right? No, sometimes you're tired. You know why? It's because you have a finite amount of strength. You have a finite amount of energy. God has an infinite amount of energy, an infinite amount of strength. And so many of us are so tired in life. And I've never met tired people who are happy. You ever notice that? Just know it doesn't, that doesn't relate. Tired people are not happy people. Look at what Psalms 84, 5 says. You bless all who depend on you for their strength. So there's a story. It goes back to that posture, that attitude of dependence on God, saying, God, I start every day and I wake up in the morning and say, God, would you please give me strength for this day? Because I know what it's like to be a parent. I, I, again, you, you go to jobs sometimes that you hate. You commute in traffic where you think, you think Thanos, I don't agree with him, but maybe I get it, you know. If you cut out half the population, you actually get to work on time. Like you're surrounded by people that, I'm telling you, life can be draining sometimes. And many times the the, the simple response is just this. It's because you're living life out of your own strength. Instead of waking every morning and saying, God, I completely and fully depend on you. Listen to Isaiah 40 verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. This is another Christian interior designer scripture, by the way. If you want to become a Christian interior designer, just steal these scriptures and then go do something artsy with them. And then you will be an official Christian interior designer. Because they will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. The reality is this. that you, I'm not telling you that life is always going to go your way. Don't be fooled. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's a deep and lasting peace and contentment because you are going to have dark days in your life and you are going to have moments in your life where you feel exhausted or you feel drained or you just feel tired. And what I want you to do is, is recognize that when I, when I have a posture that says I completely depend on you, I promise you, you will find a unique level of energy that is unexplainable. You will find God's strength being renewed in you and you will have this unexplainable, unquantifiable, I don't know why I'm still going. I don't know why I'm getting through this. I don't know why I'm still feeling encouraged. I don't know why I still feel joy. I don't, I don't, you ever find people like that? Almost annoy you a little bit. 
chaos all around them. They're going through an incredibly difficult time, and yet they still have God's peace in their life. You're like, how do you do that? It's because they figured out how to depend on God's strength and not their own. Psalm 71, 16 says this, I will walk in the strength of the Lord. As a matter of fact, let's just say that out loud. I will walk in the strength of the Lord. Say it one more time. I will walk in the strength of the Lord. That needs to be your motto every morning. No, I walk in the strength of the Lord. I don't do this on my own. I'm not capable on my own. I don't have what it takes. Again, it's a posture of humility that says, I will depend completely on you. Well, watch this. This is what Paul had the weirdest take on this. Do you want to hear Paul? Paul is so counterintuitive. Listen to what he says. He goes, there are three times that I beg God to take away my weakness. Each time God replied, nope, my grace is all you need. And actually my power works best in your weakness. So now I gladly boast about how weak I am because, well, when I'm weakest, the power of Christ works in me and shows up through me because when I am weak, then, then I'm strong. What Paul recognizes is that weakness is actually the thing that gets me to depend on God. It's me owning it. It's me admitting it, confessing it, realizing, God, I, I, I'm so weak. I don't have what it takes. And now I'll boast in that. Like that almost sounds weird. Like, hey, I'm just going to be happy how weak I am so that I can do what? So that I can invite the strength of God's presence into my life. It's so counterintuitive. But here's what I know. Tired people are not happy people. But people who depend on God's strength, they walk in a different way and they experience a different level of joy. Number three is this. I will depend on God's timing and not mine. Here's what I know about you. Frustrated people is not happy people, right? Like when you're, when nothing seems to go your way and the timing of all of the things don't fall into place, it, it just is frustrating in life. And here's the deal. Timing is one of those unquantifiable things, but I'm telling you, timing is sometimes the key to everything, but it's frustrating because you have no control over your timing. You ever thought about that? You have no control over your timing. Being in the right place at the right time is so pivotal to so many different things in life, but you can't control your time. Who's in control of your time? God is. In some unmeasurable way, God is in control. Listen to what David said. Psalms 31 verse 14 says this, I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. And what? My times are in your hands. God is holding the timing to everything. And have you ever noticed this? This is what's really, really frustrating about God. We wish he was different. We wish he worked on our timetable, but God is never in a hurry. Isn't that frustrating? Like I'm in a hurry. I want this to get done. I want to get out of debt. I want to break through. I want my marriage to heal. I want these to happen. I want, I want to elevate in life. I want this job. I want, I want things. And yet God is seemingly never in a hurry. I think this would frustrate Moses the most. Remember Moses he comes out of Egypt with all the Israelites and then he finds himself like stuck between the Red Sea and then the Egyptian army is breathing down his neck. Now he prays and says, God, I need a miracle. I need you to get me out of this or we're all going to die. And you know what God does? He just waits. And he wait. Can you imagine? God, the longer you wait, the more my blood pressure goes up. The more you wait, the more stressed I get. God, why do you have, and God's got an agenda. God's, God's up to something because God's actually in the midst of trying to set up a, tr- a plan to destroy Moses' enemies. I mean, that's, that's the real story that's going on there, that God's timing is perfect timing, but it doesn't line up with ours. Have you ever noticed that? All throughout scripture, you can see this. You ever wonder this? Like Abraham was promised a son. Abraham, you're going to have a son. You know how long you waited? 25 years. Joseph has a dream of, of being a ruler and a dream of greatness. He has to wait 13 years. David, you're going to be on the throne. You're going to be the king. He has to wait 15 years. 
Israel, you're going to have a Messiah. I don't know. They waited over a thousand years. It just, God's timing. And that's where you have to trust and say, you know what? My times are in his hands. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. I am the Lord. And when it is time, I will make these things happen quickly. Well, thanks God. If you could please let me know when that is though. I would, I would greatly appreciate it. And it just never works that way. Here's another quote that you need to write down. A delay is not a denial. A delay is not a denial. You need to know this because this is the thing that you need to eventually depend on. Is that even when you are waiting, God is still working. It's just the way it goes. It's this wonderful thing where God says, no, no, no you, you don't hold time in your hands. You're not juggling six billion people's prayers at one time. You've got to just trust me on this. Know that even while you're waiting, I'm working. So just because there's a delay, it doesn't mean that there is a denial. Last scripture in this section, Micah 7, 7 says this. I trust the Lord God to save me and I will what? I will wait for him to answer my prayer. And so here's, my, here's what I know about you. People who are underneath the stress of life. And maybe the time crunch and the time pressure of life. Man, they're not happy. But the people who are going you know what? I might be under a time crunch, crunch, but my times are in his hands. God is in control. God's still sitting on the throne. God's still sovereign. I'm going to be okay. It puts you at peace, and those are happy people. Let's keep going. Number four is this. Uh, number four is I will depend on God's defense and not mine. I mean, I'm telling you what. Um, let me prepare you for life. In life, you are going to have people who misunderstand you. Can I get an amen? Like, you're going to have people who criticize you. You're going to have people that don't like you. You're going to have people that reject you. You're going to have people that sometimes gossip about you or even lie about you. It's just the way life goes. And so, again, that when, when you have a critical person around you, there is like a gut punch that happens to your spirit, doesn't it? Like, when you hear criticism, like it is. It's like just somebody just punches you in the gut. There's this sickening feeling. You're like, oh, how would they say that about me? How could they talk about me like that way? How could they throw me under the bus that way? And the reality is, is that sometimes that type of criticism, uh, it robs us of our joy. It robs us of our happiness. And so what you're going to have to do in life is to, to learn how to depend on God's defense and not your own. And sometimes there's a temptation in you to think, well, I just, I just, I just need to be better so people don't criticize me. That's not true either. Because Jesus was perfect and they criticized him. Jesus was perfect and they attacked him so like you can be as perfect as you want i don't care you're still going to be criticized you're still going to be attacked and our temptation is just to respond so poorly because i don't know about you but when i get criticized you know what i like to do i like to criticize back you want to point out my flaws let me point out yours jack you want to attack me i'm gonna attack back right it's, it's such, such an evil spirit it's, a, it's such an ugly spirit and what the bible teaches is like, no 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 because that's my natural defensive mechanism wants to kick into place and and God's like, no, 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 no. You're going to be unhappy soul because now you're going to create this just this cycle of negativity, this cycle of criticism, this cycle of mean spiritedness. No, 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 don't, don't do it. Just, just relax because I am your defender. If you don't believe me, watch this. Psalms 21 verse 12 or Psalms 2 verse 12 says this is that God blesses and protects everyone who what? Who runs to him? Watch this. This is even the best one. Psalm 62, verse 5. There are actually five metaphors trapped in these couple of verses. Ready? This is what God's defense and protection look like. I depend on God alone. I put my hope in him. He alone, what? Protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall not be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on him. He is my strong protector. He is 
my shield. I just want you to know, like in life, I'm telling you, if you want to be happy in life, you want, that to be poor in spirit means I humbly depend on God. I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough wisdom, so I'm going to depend on yours. I don't have enough strength. I'm going to depend on yours. I can't fight off every attack and criticism. God, I'm going to just trust in you, and that's the way I'm going to live life. And in doing so, what you find is this. You find people who live this life of incredible peace, incredible contentment. They have found a lasting happiness. Are you ready? Last one, and I'll close on this one. Number five is this, is I will depend on God's wealth and not mine. I will depend on God's wealth and not mine. Here's, here's what I know about you. Um, finances can be stressful. Like living in the Bay Area, the Bay Area, it's stressful. You start looking at real estate, and you're like, God, Why? You start looking at like how much stuff costs, you know, you're like, there's a financial stress. And so there's a stress on us, maybe, maybe in this part of the country, unlike other parts of the country that I need to say this, like sometimes we sit there and we look and say, man, I feel like there's this stressful burden financially. How am I going to make it? How am I going to get out of debt? How am I going to be able to afford? How am I going to be able to pay for my kids, whatever? And there's this stress and our, our temptation is this. Our temptation is to look at our bank account. Our temptation is to look at our job. Our temptation is to look at our investments, our temptation, that's where it all goes. And we're sitting there looking at those. And what we need to do is is realize this, is that our God wants to be our provider. So your job is not the solution. Can I help you with that real quick here? Your job's not the answer. Your job is just the channel that God is currently using. Because here's what happens. If you trust in your bank account, here's what I know. Uh, Sometimes the bank account has lots, sometimes it has nothing. Your trust can never be in your bank account. Sometimes your investments are going up. Sometimes they're going down. You can't put your faith and hope in that. You don't even put your faith and hope in your job. You just recognize that's the channel that God is using. So if you're taking notes, write this down. My job is a channel, but my God, my God is the source. Like every once in a while, I've done something stupid in my house. I'm not a handy person. I'm willing to admit that. When I was brand new at marriage, I had to like learn how to hang a picture on the wall. Like I knew nothing. And so, but every once in a while, I would get into like, you know, doing my own electrical work. That's like the dumbest idea in the world. And so, but I had a buddy, right? And I used his wisdom and not my, anyway. So I started doing a couple little tinkering things. And every once in a while, I would like, well, I'd shut down the house, right? All of a sudden, and the house just shuts down. All the lights go out and I got to go figure that out. You know, in, in, in the couple, I only did it twice, maybe three times, but in the, in the, in the three or four times that I did it. I never once said to my wife, babe, the electricity's gone. There's no more electricity. There's just, it's, there's no more. I never once thought that at the power plant that they had run out of electricity. What I recognized is, is that right here at my source, uh, well, I did something stupid. And so the, 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 the idea would be this. You don't ever look at God and think, you know, God ran out. God's not my provider anymore. No, no, no. God is the infinite supply of source and resources. Does that make sense? If it's not here on my end, it's not because the electric company ran out of power. Now, that might happen one day in California, but it's besides the point. That's not, the issue is on my end. And so, again, I just got to recognize, the, God is my source. The source is doing just fine. I might need to change how I tap into that source. I might have to change how I go about doing my finances. I might have to even change jobs. or whatever. But God is my source. I don't trust in my job or my bank account or my investments. My faith is in the God. Watch this. This is what Paul said. Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply all my needs from his abundant wealth because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. 
And so again, there's just this strain. I know this because here's, let, let me wrap on this. When you think about these five things that we talked about, when we depend on God's wisdom, we depend on God's strength, his timing, his defense, and his wealth. Here's what I know. That when you live a life of depending on God, you live a life poor in spirit, I'm telling you, you find a peace, you find a contentment, you find a happiness, a lasting happiness. Why? Because when I'm telling you, when you try to do life on your own, this is what happens. Try to live life on your own wisdom and your own strength. You end up alone or you end up overstressed or you end up in total chaos. And I've never met people that live in that and are like, man, but I'm so happy. (laughs) No, we live a life of happiness because we're poor in spirit. We are completely and humbly dependent on our God. And we live like that. We tap into this counterintuitive, countercultural secret to happiness. Would you pray with me this morning? You know, as you have your head bowed and your eyes closed, there are these five things that we talked about today. Would you do me a favor? Will you take a quick inventory? How you doing? How are you doing when it comes to living life on your own wisdom? Because many of us, we're taking our parenting cues from culture. We're taking our marriage cues from maybe our parents. We're, we're, or we're just doing the best that we know how. Or we're doing what seems right to us. Maybe we're even following our heart. How are you doing when it comes to like legitimately depending on God's wisdom and not just doing what we think is best. Can you trust God and say, you know what, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to trust your wisdom. How are you doing when it comes to strength? Like, do you feel tired out there? How you, how's the, how's the inventory going when it comes to you really waking up every morning and saying, God, I completely depend on you for my strength. What about your timing, your defense, or even the financial stress? And, and how are you doing? Because here's what I want for you. I want you to live out this life so walking with God and so depending on him that you find a peace and a contentment. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that, God, when we walk out of these doors, we would become this person who lives a life that is poor in spirit, completely and humbly dependent on you, Lord God. Let us seek you early in the morning and depend on you for our strength for every single day. God, let us live a life that depends on you constantly in prayer and in your words to find your wisdom, God. May we live a life just trusting in your timing, depending on your your defense, God, and knowing, God, that you are our provider. Lord, that is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. We give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.